today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. They lost the fear of God. They lost the reverence of God to the point that they were comfortable bringing idols in and setting them up in the courts of the temple. They had no sense of conviction about their sin. And they, they believed as long as we're still coming here, God's going to bless us as long as we're still going through these religious rituals and saying the prayers and making the offerings. doesn't matter how we live out there or what we're doing elsewhere. As long as we're showing up here, then God's going to bless us. Meeting together with the church is a vital part of every believer's walk, but it's just one aspect of how you glorify God in your life. Everything in your life should be done for His glory. That's a high bar. And no Christian ever gets it totally right all the time. But it should be what your heart aspires to. As Pastor Dan will stress in today's message, it's not about earning God's forgiveness or favor. It's about giving every part of yourself in gratitude for how He gave everything for you. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Lamentations chapter 2 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. right hand is the hand of favor. It's the hand of honor. It's the hand of, of blessing. For example, the Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Jesus has the place of honor and in heaven. He has the place of favor in heaven. Verse 3 here says that God has withdrawn his right hand from Judah. He has withdrawn his favor. He has withdrawn his honor. It says, notice, from before the enemy, or as the enemy was attacking. That's when God removed His hand of favor. As the enemy was attacking, God lifted His hand of favor from them. Again, God is the one doing this. He withdrew His favor from Judah in the face of their enemy, and He allowed them to be defeated because of their sin. And because of their rebellion that they refused to repent of after 40 years of Jeremiah warning them and calling them to repent. God finally just lifted His hand of favor from them, His hand of blessing in the face of their enemy, and He allowed them to be defeated. And there's a very important uh, spiritual lesson in that for us. God will allow us to suffer God will allow us to suffer. God will allow us to go through pain. God will allow us to even be defeated if that suffering will bring us to the place of repentance. If that suffering will bring us to the place of repentance where we turn our hearts back to Him. God will withdraw His hand temporarily if that's what it takes to get us to turn back. Just like a parent who shows a child discipline, who shows a child tough love because it's what's best for the child. It's what's best for the development of that child so that they develop into a mature person, a responsible person. And if necessary, God will allow us to suffer 
who allow us to experience pain, who allow us to be defeated, if that is what is required to turn our hearts back to Him. You know, in the Psalms, in Psalm 119, verse 67, the psalmist says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. The the affliction caused the psalmist to turn back to the Lord and begin to keep His word and walk in His ways again. The psalmist goes on in verse 71 to say, My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. My suffering got my attention. God used suffering to get His attention. For now, now He pays attention to His decrees. You know, affliction isn't always a bad thing. Suffering's not always a bad thing. It's, it's miserable going through it. We don't want to go through it, but sometimes God can use that in our lives to get our attention. And I, and I would say we probably have all experienced that to various degrees. Where some kind of trial comes into our life, some kind of suffering, some kind of difficulty, uh, and it gets our attention. And we get serious about God. And we get serious about seeking Him. We get serious about praying. And we get into the Word of God and we're searching the Scriptures like never before and reading our Bible and we're confessing sin and getting things into the light. And, and, and those are all good things that result from affliction. That affliction brings out. That's what He does here with the people of Judah. He lifts His right hand from them. Look at verse 4. Standing like an enemy, he has bent his bow with his right hand like an adversary. He has slain all who were pleasing to his eye. On the tent of the daughter of Zion, he has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord was like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces. He has destroyed her strongholds and he and has increased mourning and lamentation in the daughter of Judah. Notice the word like. In verses 4 and 5, God was like an enemy. He was like an adversary against Judah. He was not Judah's enemy. He was not Judah's adversary, but he was like an enemy. He was like an adversary against them. The Bible says God chastens whom He loves. He chastens whom He loves. And when God uh, chastens us or disciplines us, He does so because He loves us. Now, When that happens, it may feel like to us that God has become our enemy. That God's against me. But that's not true. That's not true. He he hasn't turned against us. He's not our enemy. He's not against us. He's for us. That's why He's doing that. That's why He's he's bringing that affliction. He wants us to succeed. He, He wants us to get it right. That's why He's correcting us. Again, it may feel like God's our enemy, but He's not. He has done violence to His tabernacle, to the temple, as if it were a garden. He has destroyed His place of assembly. The Lord has caused the appointed feasts and Sabbaths to be forgotten in Zion. In His burning indignation, He has spurned the king and the priest. Uh, Again, verse 6, He has done violence to His tabernacle as it were a garden. In Israel, when you plant a garden, you have to remove all of the stones and all of the rocks first because there's rocks everywhere. 
And here he, he says that God treated his temple like a garden, removing all of the stones of the temple. Remember the, uh, the, the people of Babylon, the army of Babylon destroyed the temple and then began to dismantle the city and take down the walls stone by stone of the city as if it were a garden where he's removing the stones from his garden. Look what it says in verse 6 again. He has done violence, notice, to his tabernacle. As if it were a garden. He has destroyed his place of assembly. The Lord has caused the appointed feasts and Sabbaths to be forgotten in Zion. In his burning indignation, he has spurned the king and the priests. Look at verse 7. The Lord has spurned his altar. He has abandoned his sanctuary. He has given up the walls of her palaces into the hand of the enemy. They have made a noise in the house of the Lord. It's the Lord's house. And on the day of a set feast. Again, notice in verses 6 and 7. It's his tabernacle. It's his place of assembly. It's his altar. It's his sanctuary. It's his house. It's the Lord's. It's his the temple belonged to God. And the temple was supposed to be all about God. But over time, the, the people of Judah, had, you know, they just forgot about God when they would go to the temple. And it was no longer about God when they would go to the temple. They lost sight of God. It was no longer about Him and His house and His tabernacle and His place of assembly and His altar and his sanctuary, it was about them and benefiting themselves. And that's why they went for their own benefit. And, and they, they lost sight of God at some point. They lost the fear of God. They lost the reverence of God to the point that they were comfortable bringing idols in and setting them up in the courts of the temple. They had no sense of conviction about their sin and they, they believed, as long as we're still coming here, God's going to bless us. As long as we're still going through these religious rituals and saying the prayers and making the offerings, it doesn't matter how we live out there or what we're doing elsewhere, but as long as we're showing up here, then, then God's going to bless us. And he says here, hey, it's, it's my tabernacle. It's my place of assembly. It's my altar. It's my sanctuary. It's, it's my house. We should never lose sight of the fact that the church belongs to Jesus Christ. It's His church. He bought it with His own blood on the cross. It's, it's His church. It's His people. His assembly. And so it should be all about Him. He should be preeminent in everything. Everything that we do, it's not, it's not about us or me or you. It's not about what we get out of it or what God does for us. We're coming into His courts. We're coming into His house. It's about Him. It's about honoring Him and glorifying Him and praising Him in his house 
for who he is. We'll return to today's edition of Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton in a moment. But first, Pastor Dan would like to extend a special invitation to our listeners. If you've enjoyed the messages on Ring of Truth, I'd like to personally invite you to join us this Sunday at Calvary Chapel. We're located in Columbia, Maryland, just five minutes from Routes 29, 95, and 100. I'd love for you to come be part of our time of worship and Bible study this weekend at 9 or 11 a.m. I always enjoy meeting listeners of Ring of Truth, so please be sure to introduce yourself to me after church. To find out more information and to get directions, visit our website at calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. That website again is calvaryec.com. We look forward to seeing you. Now, back to today's message. You wouldn't allow somebody to come into your house and just do whatever they want. You know, if if somebody comes into your house, they're going to be in your house according to your rules. And if they didn't follow your rules, you'd ask them to leave. And here the Lord is reminding Judah, hey, this is my house. That's not, that's not your altar, that's my altar. <laughs> it's not your sanctuary, it's my sanctuary. This isn't your tabernacle, it's my tabernacle. This isn't really about you, it's about me, the Lord is saying. Right? You get to Revelation And what do you see? Everybody gathered around the throne of God. And they're worshiping Him and saying, You are worthy to receive all honor and glory and praise. For you have redeemed us by your blood. It's it's all about Him. And we don't ever want to get to the place, I'm not saying that we are, but just the reminder here where we start to think it's about us we start acting like it's our house. And then I, I, you know, I can bring in my idol and set it up here. And I can do whatever I want because it's my house. No, it's not. It's his house. And look at the end of verse 7 again. Notice at the end of verse 7. The Babylonians made a noise in the house of the Lord. He says, as on the day of a set feast. The Babylonians, if you remember, they held a celebration to their God for three days in the temple before they destroyed it. They had a big feast and celebration uh, honoring their God in the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem before destroying it and burning it down. So the Lord allowed the temple to be destroyed. And then once the temple was destroyed, there was no place to meet with God. There was no place to sacrifice, no place to atone for sin, no place of worship, no place to gather, no place to pray, no place to keep the ceremonial law. God took it away. And the people of Judah are carried 1,600 miles away to Babylon for 70 years. Now, while they're in Babylon, there, there are going to be some things that they develop in Babylon. One of the things they develop in Babylon is the synagogue. You don't see synagogues in the Old Testament. You come into the New Testament, and synagogues play a very prominent role in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and in the book of Acts. Uh, Much of Jesus' ministry takes place in synagogues in the Gospels. Well, synagogues started in Babylon. The, The word synagogue, it means house of gathering. 
They no longer had a temple where they could go and make sacrifices. So they started synagogues, a place where they could come together while they're in Babylon and they could uh, study the scripture together and discuss the scripture together. That was the purpose of a synagogue. It was a place of studying the scripture. They didn't make uh, sacrifices or atonements for sin in synagogues. They didn't sing in synagogues. They studied the scripture together in the synagogues. That started in Babylon. You also see rabbis start in Babylon. You don't see rabbis in the Old Testament. You see them in the New Testament. see them in the Gospels. This idea of teachers or teachers of the scripture. They no longer have a priesthood. They lost, the priesthood is done away with when the temple is destroyed by the Babylonians. So now they have these rabbis who become teachers. That happens in Babylon. Uh, you also have the rise of the Pharisees in Babylon. And the Pharisees, they actually started out as a good thing. They were people that were zealous for the scripture, zealous for keeping the commandments of God, zealous to be careful with the word of God. They weren't going to let what happened before happen again. And so they were committed to the Scripture. But over time, uh, their uh, interpretations of the Scripture became more important than the Scriptures themselves. And their their, uh, man-made rules or man-made interpretations were elevated to a higher level than the Word of God. Jesus talked about the, the leaven of the Pharisees. Leaven is something that starts out small and it grows. Pharisees initially, they, they, they started out on the right track, right intentions. We're just going to be zealous to keep the Word of God. But then over time, well, over time, their own interpretations of the law became more important than the law itself. So you've got synagogues, you've got rabbis, you've got Pharisees. All of that begins in Babylon. And again, those things play a very central role in the Gospels uh, in the New Testament. So, verse 8 now. Moving right along. Again, we see the Lord. The Lord has purposed to destroy. This is the Lord's doing. The wall of the daughter of Zion. He has stretched, notice, He has stretched out a line He has not withdrawn his hand from destroying. He withdrew his hand from protecting. But he has not withdrawn his hand from destroying. Therefore, he has caused the rampart and wall to lament. They languished together. They sag together literally. Here in in verse 8, he says, He has stretched out a line against Jerusalem. Now, normally a, a line was used in constructing something. You would use a line, like a plumb line. You would use a line to make sure you, you get a straight wall and get it exactly the way you want it. Or get a, a corner exactly square. But here, now, God is using a line to destroy Jerusalem. In other words, Jerusalem was destroyed precisely as God wanted. It's exactly how He wanted things to happen. In Jerusalem. Verse 9 goes on. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the nations. The Gentiles. They've been carried away to Babylon. The law 
is no more. But just think about what that says. The law of God is no more. And her prophets find no vision from the Lord. It says her gates are sunk into uh, the ground. And what this probably means, if you remember the Babylonians, they, they tore the gates down of the city. They burned the gates. And what this probably means is once the gates were torn down over time, they've just been covered up by the earth. They've just, you know, the earth has just overgrown and now uh, they're buried. If you, go to, if you go to Israel today, one of the things you're going to see all over the country are these things called tells. And tells are uh, hills that you see, and they're obviously not natural hills. They don't look natural. But what they are is there was a city that was once there that was destroyed, and then just over time, you know, soil and grass and everything has grown up over top of it. So now you have this buried city under a mound of, of dirt. And that's kind of the idea here uh, with these with these gates. Even when you go to Jerusalem today and you walk the streets of the old city of Jerusalem, the streets that Jesus walked are 20 to 50 feet below the, the, the current streets of Jerusalem. And there's a few places in Jerusalem where you can go underground and you can go down to the street level of what was the street level in Jesus' day. But it's all buried underground now, 20, 50 feet uh, under the earth. Uh, and that's, that's kind of what he's describing here. Uh, there was a guy, I thought about bringing a picture, but it was kind of a creepy picture. Back in 1969, there was an American college student uh, named James Fleming. Uh, and he's a, he's a Bible guy today. Uh, he was a college student in Jerusalem, and he was just outside the Eastern Gate. The Eastern Gate's the gate that's bricked shut that faces the Mount of Olives. And he was out there, and there's a, there's a Muslim cemetery right in front of the Eastern Gate, and he was out there at the Eastern Gate taking photographs by himself. And as he's walking along, along all, of, all of a sudden the ground collapsed underneath him, and he fell into a dark pit uh, about like 8 to 10 feet down in a hole. Uh, and it's pitch black in there, and he was smart enough, at least, to snap a bunch of photographs before he climbed out of the hole. And when he got home and he developed the film, uh, there were a whole bunch of bones in there, like hundreds of bones. It was a crypt. It was a mass grave where they had buried a bunch of bodies. And so he fell. It's like something out of Indiana Jones, right? Where He, he fell into this tomb with all these bodies. But in the pictures you can see these archways of what was the gate to the city in the days of Jesus Christ that are now buried under the ground and under the, the gate that's above ground. He's the only guy who's, who's been able to get photos of the gates that date back to the time of Jesus. He asked me how I That's all we have time for today on Ring of Truth. Thanks for joining us as we learn from the Book of Lamentations together. This book can be complex, but the writer was very clear when he wrote that the Lord is faithful even in the midst of trials and tribulations. Put your hope in the living God, and He will meet you where you're at. 
If you'd like to hear this message again or more teachings from Pastor Dan, we invite you to visit our website, calvaryec.com. There you'll have access to our library of previous messages, available to listen to online or download to take with you on the go. That website again is calvaryec.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Each time we post a new teaching, you'll get a notification and be able to listen right away. We'd like to take a moment to ask you to partner with us as we continue to build this ministry. God is using programs like Ring of Truth to share the message of the gospel through a virtual mission field. Now, more than ever, people are being reached through radio and online teachings. We're so glad we can be a part of it, and we're eager to see where God will take us next. Would you join us in seeking God's will for this ministry? We know God listens to the prayers of His people, and we appreciate you partnering with us in this way. Thanks for joining us today. In our next edition, Pastor Dan will continue teaching verse by verse through the Book of Lamentations, right here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize